God is worthy. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm reminded of those, uh, as we were singing, reminded how those angels that we talked about last week, that when you get this vision of the throne of God, how these angels that were worshiping God, you know, they've not stopped. And right now, they still do not stop. And the fact that we have an opportunity to come before Him and bring our praise is extremely humbling. God's good to us. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, when you get there, go to verse 18. If you want to use that pew Bible in front of you, feel free to grab a hold of that. It's on page 1111. Believe it or not, 1111 is the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. A lot of ones right there, but we will... Um, We'll read that in just a minute, Matthew chapter 1, picking up in verse 18. In our extended family, as you can see, we've sort of taken a hard turn toward Christmas. And, and don't forget that next Sunday morning, our bigger kids <laughs> sing in the choir, right? We had the little kids this Sunday, and they did a fantastic job. And I'll tell you, adult choir, you guys got you to you go next week. You, you, you don't want to let these kids, they're cute. They are. It's going to be hard to beat them, but you can do it. But church, you want to be here next week. Our choir takes an extended time to lead us in uh, Christmas music next Sunday morning. So I just want to mention that to you because our little kids are important, but our big kids are important too, right? Everybody here is important to the Lord. And so in our extended family... At Christmas, we exchange names for gift-giving. The process for exchanging names takes many forms, depending upon which side of the family that we're dealing with. And every single time, it seems to come with some rules. Rules like you cannot get your own name. I think that is the dumbest rule ever. <laughs> when you just love to exchange gifts and open up your piece of paper and go, oh, I got me. But in our family, you can't get yourself. Uh, you cannot spend over the limit, and sometimes you even have a rule that says you can't even have the person that you had last year in order to keep things different. I just think it keeps things confusing. Once we exchange the names, it's time for each person in our family to publish their Christmas list. You know, right? The list of gifts that they want or they need or they like. This is a guide to you and making sure that the gift that you give them is something that they want, need, or like. Now, we have some members of our family who quickly and thoroughly provide a list. I'm talking down to the click this link, <laughs> right? I've put this in a box on Amazon. You can just go check out. You know, we've got people that'll be that thorough with their list and and then if your family's like ours, we have other family members that we know. They're not going to put out a list for any reason. No way, no how, ever. And when you draw their names, you go, great. <laughs> I am probably, by my family's account, one of the names that people would like to avoid. You see, I am really hard to buy for. For a few reasons, I do not want much. 
I am picky about what I like. I typically get the few things that I like when I want them because I just can't see waiting for Christmas. And some would say that I desire boring gifts like a Dunkin' gift card or a donation, which I've done for many years, to a charitable organization of my choosing. I just make them give my gift money to an organization. First choice has been my choice many times. You know, everybody wants to give the perfect gift. You know, that gift that you cannot wait for your person to open because you know that when they open it, it's just going to change Christmas. I mean, this is going to be the gift that we talk about for years. Now, you know that feeling that you've had going, oh, this is the gift. I can't wait to give it. I'm working on one right now. I can't tell you who I'm working on it for because they might be online, part of my family, and watching it or check it out or something like that. Man, this is going to be the Christmas when it comes to one that I am uh, buying for. You're thrilled to give this gift. Well, let me just remind as we transition a little bit, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I can't read that without recognizing the moment that I understood that verse, I'm going, the fullness of the time, the particular time that God had appointed for his plan to take that next step. And this helped me begin to look at all times as the time that God has appointed, such as us being here together this morning on this scripture, talking about things, about Christmas. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Do you notice the word gave? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God knew that this gift, the gift of his Son, he knew it was the gift. You know what I'm talking about? You know that feeling you get? I've explained it to you when you go, Oh, I've got exactly what they won't need or like. God says, Oh, I've got exactly what they won't need or like. And so he sent his son. And did you know that he was excited to give this gift? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Church, I stand before you this morning to declare that Jesus Christ has always been God's gift to man. God's redemptive plan. And God took the step of sending his son at the time that he had always, always ask you to stand with me. We're going to read together from the book of Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 25. Matthew chapter 1, picking up in verse 18, says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. 
Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen to the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Now, before we even get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, there are obviously 17 other verses that we have passed over to get to this. And Matthew begins this gospel. If you've got it open, you can look on verse 1 by calling Jesus exactly who he is. Did you notice it says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew then provides us another 16 verses of the genealogy of Jesus. And so many times we don't read this. We're going, I got to get to the Christmas story. So let me skip the first 17 verses. I can't pronounce them anyway. And get to the real meat of the story. Well, can I tell you that in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it talked about the fullness of the time. Did you know that every name that is in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, was a stepping stone used by God intentionally on purpose to bring us to the time? These are critically important verses, people, steps in God's plan of redemption. And if you read through them, some are good, some are not so good. Some are Jewish and some are Gentile. All evidence of God's continual working to get to this time of the giving of his son. Did you know that when kings are anointed, people want to know the pedigree of their leader? It's an interesting thing. You know, we've just seen in England the passing of the monarchy. And it's been very clear for years who the next appointed one was. Well, I did a little bit of reading. You know, it gets pretty complex. And it's happened in history where the passing down of the kingship or the queenship or the head of a nation through that had to be traced through the lineages and, and all this stuff because people want to know the pedigree, their worthiness of their king. And Matthew begins by proving genealogically, back through God's word, that Jesus has the authority and the position, likely the only one, to be the man that God has in there. So Matthew in his first 17 verses is saying why Jesus is the man. You know, we, we believe the scripture says that Jesus is all man and Jesus is all God. Well, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, Matthew settles the case for why Jesus is the appropriate man that God has. Our scripture today that picks up in verse 18 
points to the God aspect or the authority that Jesus has from the God perspective. Jesus and only Jesus has a claim to the throne of God's people and to the throne of God. Verse 18, Matthew again calls Jesus exactly who he is. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ is a title. Fulfilled by Jesus. So let's get into verse 18. It says, the birth of Jesus was as follows. Now, we can break this down. Joseph and Mary were betrothed to each other, and you can go do quite a bit of a study, but it was a year-long activity where the families had worked it all out, but it wasn't yet. They were legally married, but they weren't married in any other fashion. They didn't live together. They didn't come together. They weren't relationally together with each other. The marriage had not occurred. That would come at a time where the groom and his family would come and the marriage would come physically at a later date. So they were in this betrothed, legally married status, but not in this any other way status. And then when that time would come, they would complete the marriage. They would be legally, officially, and actually married. And it, it, we're in this time after the engagement, but before all of those final marriage steps take place. Verse 18 says that it was during this time that she, Mary, was found with child. Mary is now pregnant. Note the word found with child. Now, if you parallel the Christmas stories of Joseph, Matthew chapter 1, and Mary, Luke chapter 1, and we will spend our time talking about Mary next week. Mary was first told of God's plans. Mary then leaves, as we read Scripture in Luke chapter 1, to go visit her cousin Elizabeth, and she's there for three months. Then when she returns home, she is now three months pregnant, and it's clear to all, especially Joseph, that things have changed. While she's gone. Mary had known the plan of God for three months. But everything we read right now in Matthew chapter 1 about Joseph is new for him. He's just now being caught up into this story. Matthew chapter 18, Matthew is clear to point out that this child is of the Holy Spirit. Now we validate through Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 through Mary and the promise of God but God wants Joseph to know as well. And it's important that we know because the doctrine of the virgin birth is where we are able to bring together the two vital aspects of Jesus, being the man and then being God coming together. And so we get to hear this. Mary was pregnant with Jesus because of an act of God, not because of an act of man. And only God could have done this miracle, so this makes Jesus the God-man. So back to Joseph. Verse 19 says that once he knows all of these things, she's found to be with child, that he was minded to put her away secretly. Now Joseph could only understand at this time what he had seen. Joseph assumed the only reasonable thing, given what he has seen, 
But Joseph, being a just man, loved and wanted to protect Mary. Joseph, being a just man, considered ending this relationship, but doing so in a very quiet manner. But notice that this is not an immediate decision of Joseph. Look at verse 20. It says, but while he thought about these things. Now, I was reminded for a second that I believe that there is a link between being a just man, a godly, righteous man, as Joseph is giving credit to being, and thinking before we act. I don't know about you, but sometimes Jeff's first reactions are not Jeff's best reactions. Sometimes my first reactions would not end up being godly reactions because I've not taken the time to think and turn to God. And so when we're told that Joseph is a just man, and we're told that he is thinking about these things, Joseph is allowing God the appropriate time to define what is going on and to refine what is also going on. And it was in this time of thinking, this considering, where Joseph took a little bit of a reactionary time out, that the angel, verse 20, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, it's very interesting. Just man hearing challenging news, taking time to think it through, and then God, in this moment, shows up. You know, I was reminded, God's not going to leave his people struggling in their situations. He's not going to leave you alone. He's promised that. God will actively seek to lead and guide his people. And God desires for us to turn to him in all times. So in verse 20, this angel that comes to Joseph tells him three things. He starts by saying, do not be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. The baby conceived is of God, is of the Holy Spirit. The angel continues by telling Joseph just a little bit more about plans of God. Verse 21 says that the baby will be a son, that you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. And then the angel continues telling Joseph about the plans of God, that all the plans of the Lord from the past may be fulfilled. Back to Galatians I go. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says that God sent forth his Son in the fullness of the time. God is bringing together all of these uh, actions and places. And then he quotes. The angel does. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse 23 says that Emmanuel means God with us. Now, I was studying this, and I was realizing that, you know, it's, as a Christian, it is nearly impossible to study Christmas without referencing Easter. It's hard to discuss the birth of Jesus without speaking of the death of Jesus. I did it when I went to Isaiah 53.10. It's the Christmas and Easter verse right there. The angel to Joseph said, he will save his people 
from their sins. Even in this moment where Jesus is in womb approximately three months, Joseph is in his thinking, God through the angel is being very clear as to who Jesus is, what Jesus is going to be doing, and the result of saving the people from their sins. That's the true meaning of Christmas, is that the gift of God given to us, his son. Now it's interesting. Now that I've tried to go Christmas and I'm now I'm thinking Easter, God's word started just coming to me even more. This gift that God has given us, Jesus, it's not a gift we deserve. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? God's love, the fullness of God's plan happened in his time, came without us needing to become anything yet. He did all of this because he loved us, not because we deserved it. We didn't deserve it, but it's certainly a gift that we need desperately. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have failed, fallen short of God's plan for us. Scripture goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin, that that cost to us is death. Unless we turn to this gift of God. I love how it's called a gift again. Many, many years later, after Jesus had already lived, died, resurrected, and ascended, the Holy Spirit of God, leading Paul to write, says, don't forget, this was always and still is a gift because it's not deserved. And it says that that gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And here's where I want us to make sure. When I'm teaching people Scripture, that, that phrase in, in, in Romans 6, 23 the gift is not eternal life. Look in your scripture right there. You're going, what? That's weird. No, the gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because I want to make something very, very clear. When God created you, when your life was ignited, you were eternal. You are eternal. This life that we are living continues to go on. I don't talk to anybody. Rarely do I talk to people who go, well, I believe that when I die, that's just it. Now, I'm sure that there, I know that there are people that believe that. Scripturally speaking, it's not true. When we die in this world, we then move on to, and Scripture says to be absent from the body as a child of God is to be present with the Lord. But if you don't know the Lord, Scripture teaches that you will be sent to a place separated from God. So church, I need us to understand that we can either accept the gift of God because of the failure of our sins or we will be separated from God forever. If you recall, last Christmas, I was sick. I don't know if you remember that or not, but we were sick. We took our turn in the sick Bay, and, and we did not travel to Christmas to see family, nobody's family. We didn't leave the house. 
And as such, some of our gifts, because I've told you we exchanged names, some of our gifts were difficult to be able to get to people. Actually, truth be told, there are still two gifts in our family that have not yet been given yet. It's the craziest thing. Here we are. That gift's over a year old. And the one that it was intended for has never received the benefit of it. Do you know that a gift planned for, but not received, is really just a cost incurred with no benefit? And that's what happens in this world when people recognize that God sent a gift. God loves them. God has a purpose and a plan for them. That we missed the mark because of sin. That God loved us and sent his son for us. And that we can have the gift of eternal life. But do you know that in this world, so many people, some of them in the church, so many people don't open the gift. Never receive it. God wants us, God wants you to receive this most perfect of gifts. Romans 10, 13 says, for whoever, I love that word, whoever, you know, who, you know what it means? It means everybody. You know who it means? It means you and anybody you see. But for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, at Christmas, I read this it was some random conversation, but it was talking about how poorly the first Christmas gift was likely wrapped. Because we know that Jesus was born, and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Now, we know that, so we'll talk more about that as we get into the Christmas season more. But can I tell you that God the perfect gift he had ready for you, he wrapped it up and he gave it. And in this world, there are two kinds of people. Those that have said, I need that gift. I want that gift. I received that gift. And then there are those that are going, I don't need that gift. I don't want that gift. I don't even know about that gift. And I hope that you're in this group and not that group. But I get to talk to a lot of people. And there are a lot of people in church today, they've never really opened, truly opened, truly received the gift of God. Jesus is their, their word, but he's not changed their lives. And then I talk to people who they don't even pretend to know Jesus. They just go, I don't know Jesus. I don't know that I need to know Jesus. And church, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you've been called to speak to and challenge and make disciples of those that think they know Jesus and need to come to a real knowledge of him or to those that 
don't know Jesus at all. Now, I read this week that Joseph may be one of the most unsung heroes of Christmas. Think about that for just a second. In verse 24, after hearing all of this, after experiencing all that he's experienced, we find out that he was a just man after all, that he was seeking God, because it says in verse 24 that Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, even when he did not fully understand. There is no way that Joseph, at the age that he was, at the maturity that he was, or regardless, because of this circumstance that had never happened before, there's no way that he completely understood everything that the angel of the Lord told him. And Joseph was at a very critical time in his life. And no one would have blamed Joseph for any action that he may have considered taking. And this is when the Lord started challenging me. You see, I've had similar times in my life when I needed to decide what or who was going to guide me. And I can go back nearly 30 years when Angela and I had experienced a loss. And it's an amazing thing, a loss of a baby. And I found out as I was wrestling with this as we, but I was in my own wrestling. All wrestling is individual. Not that my wife wasn't, but you have to wrestle with it individually because you walk with the Lord individually. And wrestling with this, I said, Lord, I don't want this. I don't like this. I don't even understand this. And that's when the Lord came to me in one of the most important moments in my life. And he said, Jeff, I know you don't want this, like this, or understand this. And these next words changed my life. He said, but will you trust me. You don't have to want it or understand it to be able to trust Him. Trust is a choice that you make based upon the character of God. And what he has done. Joseph was learning that the only way to follow God was to trust and obey. And somebody just had a hymn go off in their head. It's been going off in mine all week. Okay? Romans chapter 16, Paul writes in verse 25 to 27, he says this. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith to God alone be glory through Jesus Christ forever. God is making the gospel manifest when he sends his son. And church, you get to decide if you're going to trust and obey or not. I was recognizing, I grabbed my hymnal. You have a hymnal, Jeff? Yes, I have a hymnal in my office. And I went and grabbed it. You know, I grew up in the Baptist church. And the guy who's led music would get up and say, okay, we're going to sing first and last. Or we're going to sing first, second, and last. Or something like that. Some of those poor verses never got sung. And so I looked at trust and obey, and, and there are five verses in trust and obey, but rare is the church where you grew up and you said, we're going to sing all five of them. You skipped them, and typically poor number four just gets skipped. But let me tell you about verse number four in Trust and Obey. Here's what it says. I'm going to try not to sing it because you guys don't need that. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. And we know the chorus, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I come to you at this Christmas time, and I tell you that God has created, based upon Scripture and my interaction with it and yours, Jesus is the gift, the best gift, the only gift that really, really matters for eternity. And Joseph, in that moment, hearing from God, saying, Joseph, I need to use your life for my plan. Joseph had an opportunity in that moment. And Joseph laid it all on the altar. Not understanding, not liking, not wanting. But in that moment, Joseph simply trusted. God desires this Christmas for us to trust Him and obey Him. God actually desires for us to trust and obey Him every single day. Do you trust Him? If you trust Him, you will obey Him no matter what He So as we come to the end of the service, you're going, Jeff, we ended up talking about the gospel more than we ended up talking about Christmas. 
Well, can I tell you that, church, we need to be careful that we don't ever become confused. The gospel is Christmas. And so this morning, I stand before you at the end of a Christmas message and extend an invitation for you to come receive Jesus, the most perfect, the best fit, the need meter, only for your life. And I know that online or on the phone or in this room, there's bound to be one or more that need to come to know Jesus. But church, let me tell you, the church needs to really open this Jesus gift. It's not Christmas, but I'm looking forward to Christmas for Addie. I've rented the storage facility to house her gifts already. I have a van on rental to be able to drive it down. But on her birthday, which was at the end of September, last time we had real big gifts in our family. Family came together. Gifts, 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 gifts. She'd open up one, look for the next. Open up one, look for the next. Open up one, look for the next. Get to the end, no more gifts. Big pile of trash, big pile of gifts. Addie going, what's next? Church, if we're not careful, that's what we turn Christmas into. Christmas is about you receiving the only gift that is worthwhile. If you know that gift, today you need to really go pull it out of the pile and make it the gift and let your life be changed by it. If you don't know the gift, I got nothing to do but try to share the gift with you if you're interested.